This is That Marketing Podcast. Made by marketers for marketers. Welcome to another edition of That Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Spotlight UK. In this episode, we're discussing the world of e-commerce with Jay Desai. Jay is head of growth at Trend, a B2B SaaS platform which connects brands with content creators. Specializing in demand generation and marketing automation, Jay is also the host of the DTC pod, which you can find on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let's dive in. Jay, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Um, People will know that e-commerce is a fairly new venture for the Spotless UK group. So can you can you introduce yourself? Tell us about how you got involved in that side of things. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a little bit more involved on the, the B2B e-commerce world, um, but I am pretty involved. I do know a lot about B2C e-commerce as well, mostly because our business trend services e-commerce brands. But I'll kind of talk a little bit about me and, and what I do before jumping into all of that stuff over there. So I am actually the head of growth at Trend, and Trend is essentially a creator marketplace that helps connect brands and influencers together to create high quality custom content. So we operate on a little bit more of a B2B e-commerce model. My background personally, I've been in early stage B2B SaaS for the past almost three years now, both times um, at the previous company I worked at and my current company, both times I've been the only marketer on that team. And so just kind of building out everything and marketing from the ground up. So what we do at Trend, like I mentioned earlier, is B2B e-commerce. So we're implementing a lot of the same strategies that B2C do in terms of, you know, really offering this sort of self-service model and really scaling the transaction. So in terms of what that means for Trend is we operate on a credits model. So one credit equals one influencer and one creator to work with. And so brands are essentially paying for these credits and collecting these credits, similar to you know how someone might purchase something on an e-commerce website. You know, maybe you're buying a beverage and so you might be repurchasing and repurchasing as you're kind of using. So it's a very similar model in that sense. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing over here at Trend. Um, and B2B e-commerce is really interesting, Richard. I'm sure we're going to dive into a lot of the stuff about it over here and some of the similarities and differences between this and B2C e-commerce. So I'm very excited to jump in. Absolutely. Um, can you give us particular examples of, of some particular projects you're, you've worked on that have, that have really stood out for you in this field? Obviously, your experience is, as, as, we, as we just heard, really, really broad in terms of the kind of customer base that you're serving. Yeah, so I guess the two big ones that have been really valuable for me are the kind of like a current content strategy that we're doing. So, you know, we've done a lot of work with freelancers and that's really how we've scaled our business. Um, And then what you'll probably be more excited about as we are kind of talking about e-commerce is our B2B e-commerce model. So we recently just pivoted about at the beginning of the year to this e-commerce model before we were kind of more on your traditional SaaS model, which is the the monthly recurring revenue model, looking at those numbers. And what we found out was really that our business and what people were using the product for 
really didn't align with that kind of recurring revenue model, which is why we switched to e-commerce and, you know, just being in that space and understanding what e-commerce businesses are doing, it kind of made it a very easy and seamless transition for us. But yeah, we, we switched our model from MRR to more of this e-commerce model, pay per use, similar to kind of what you'd see on like, you know, Facebook ads or Google AdWords, same kind of thing where, you know, you're really paying for the use of the product. And, you know, on Facebook ads, people aren't going to, people are going to be running campaigns all the time, but they might sometimes take a break or they might increase their usage. They might pull back their spend a little bit. And so that's kind of the same thing we saw in our platform. And that's kind of why we switched to this B2B e-commerce model over here. Sure, okay. Um, what are the kind of differences that we need to bear in mind as we look at the difference between between the e-commerce ecosystems for, for B2B and for B2C? Yeah, so I think the a lot of the keys over here are the the process is a little bit different you know, there's going to be a, a lot fewer steps in B2B. Um, some, or there's gonna be a lot fewer steps in B2C sometimes. And that's because there's usually only one buyer involved in the decision process. You know, B2C is also all done on the website. Whereas in B2B, there might be some other extra piece. You know, someone might be hopping on a demo doing a live demo, maybe participating in an onboarding call, that really just doesn't exist in, in B2C. You wouldn't get onboarded after you purchase a product online. Um, so those are kind of the differences in the process over there. There's also a lot less products when it comes to B2B. Usually, you know, on B2C, you might have a few hundred SKUs, at least maybe, you know, more than 10. Whereas with B2B e-commerce, you only have a few specific products. Usually, maybe it's a couple of different product lines or just one product offering and different types of plans for it. So it's a, definitely a little bit less of a process there. And I would say also one key difference is the speed as well. So in e-commerce for B2C, what you usually see a lot is, you know, it's just a, you, you might see an ad or you might get a product recommendation and you're going to purchase that product almost immediately if you are interested in the product. Whereas with B2B, what you have to do is you have to talk to other people that might be involved in the buying process. You might have to look at your budget. You're probably not gonna make a, a snap of the decision over there. Um, and that doesn't always, that doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, the, the speed isn't fast. You still might be making a one day deal turnaround. It's just very difficult usually to be able to get the conversion within the same hour time frame that might happen on a, a traditional B2C website where, you know, you have product discovery, you realize that this product might work for you. And so you just purchase right there. Whereas with B2B, you have the product discovery, you find this product, and then you take a step back and say, okay, let me see if there are any other competitors in this space that I might be interested in. There's just a lot more factors that go into the purchase process over there that can kind of drive the, the speed to deal to increase a little bit. But I will say, generally speaking, 
B2B e-commerce speed is a lot greater. The speed to the deal is a lot greater than um, traditional B2B, which is, you know, you have a long drawn out buying process. You might have a product discovery call. You might have a demo. Then you have a meeting with your team. Um, there's just a lot more steps over there. Sure. Yeah. From my experience, it, feel, it feels like B2B is more focused on on kind of what the touch points are rather than the speed at which they happen, particularly for for a SaaS brand like Spotler is as well. And I suppose the the key, whatever speed you're working at, whatever speed your deals go through, it's it's all about driving those driving those conversions in a, in a really efficient way. What are the kind of biggest challenges that you faced in the in both sides of, of e-commerce between of, building trend up into into being a, a conversion machine if you like yeah so some of the challenges that we faced um i guess you know just the number of brands getting getting to the growth so obviously we've got the the creators and the influencers um and we're trying to figure out which one comes first um you know for us that was kind of you know, bringing in brands for free and, and doing that at the beginning to kind of drive up the number of brands and finding really good high quality brands. So, you know, that that's kind of always the challenge. And I think that's usually the challenge for any, whether it's B2C or B2B, uh, you just have to get people to buy your product. It's it's one thing to have the the product creation. I think anyone can can really go out if you're really motivated and create a product. But the hardest thing is, you know, how do you get people to to want to buy in over here? Um, and that's kind of why we pivoted to a B2B e-commerce model, that self-serve model, because it's just a lot easier for people to to get in when you're not paying some sort of monthly fee or anything like that. Um, and, and you just have to get really creative, you know, especially if you're entering, whether it's in B2C or B2B, if you're entering a market that's already not always well established but but pretty established you know there are already some key players in that industry you've got to be willing to break a few rules to be able to to get ahead because people are looking for for different a lot of times and they're focused on the benefits and outcomes but to be able to stand out you've got to be a little bit different and and that's kind of what we're doing over here and that's how we're overcoming those challenges what kind of advice would you give to B2B marketers when they're trying to, to, to understand e-commerce? What are the what are the steps they need to be taking to make sure they're getting off on the right foot to ensure success? Yeah, I think it comes down to a, a few key things. Um, the first thing is obviously making it simple. You know, B2C e-commerce is is very simple, especially now. You usually go to a website or maybe you get an ad. And then you find the product, you can find a lot of information about the product, you can go ahead and add to cart and check out all on your own. There isn't really, you know, any buffer steps or anything like that that's going to stop you from purchasing. I think you should definitely have that option available for B2B as well. And depending on what your product offering is, you know, in terms of how much the product actually costs. I think you can make it even simpler for, for products that are under $100 a month and make it very self-serve. And then uh, a couple of key things that I would also add over here is, you know, just don't be afraid to get dirty at the beginning. I think that's a big thing. 
Um, for B2C e-commerce, you know, you aren't really going to have people helping out in the purchasing process always. You know, you might have some sort of live chat functionality on the website, but outside of that, you aren't really going to try and hold someone's hand through the purchase itself. So I think with B2B, a lot of people do somewhat not expect that, but are looking for that sometimes and just looking for someone to be able to help them with that purchase. So don't be afraid to get dirty. Don't be afraid to help them get set up on the product. Don't be afraid to help be a really good driver about success. Um, and it's just, it really just comes down to being buyer centric over there. And that's just something that's really key that I want to hammer in on. And then the other thing that I would say as well, um, you know, with B2B e-commerce, what's nice is you really have good data. If, if you've ever done things with B2C e-commerce or you kind of understood, taken time to understand what they're doing over there, these checkout processes allow and kind of lean into having really well-structured data. And the same holds true for B2B e-commerce. So, you know, what I recommend over there is really just having your data set up being able to understand, I highly recommend, you know, Google Analytics enhanced e-commerce is a great feature to have. Set up your, your Facebook pixels as well, because you really can track all of these steps of the purchase. Whereas, you know, for a, a discovery call or a demo, it might be a little bit harder to kind of qualify someone as, you know, what percentage they are ready to buy and things like that. Whereas with B2B e-commerce, it's usually very black and white. Either they purchase or they haven't purchased. So the data is definitely there and you should be looking at that data, not constantly, but you should be utilizing that data to your benefit in terms of being able to use it to make business decisions. So I think that's something that's really key there. Okay, and then just to narrow it down to really the, the effective or immediate tactical steps. Can you tell us the one thing that everyone should start doing for e-commerce for B2B and one thing that people do they really need to stop doing? Yeah, I think one key thing is, you know, like I mentioned earlier, enhanced e-commerce on analytics is big. We've implemented it over here at Trend and we do a lot of, uh, we do a lot of work with it in terms of figuring out, you know, where our purchases are sourced from and all of that good stuff. So I would definitely recommend doing that and getting it set up if you haven't. There are a lot of good guides out there um, and happy to share them with you after this call, Richard, if you want to link to them in your show notes or something like that for the audience that's listening. But I say that's something that's really key. And the other thing I would say for a stop is just to stop building for, for desktop. So traditionally with, with B2B, I feel like a lot of stuff is usually built for people that are on computers, even the websites, um, even the buying process is very much just built for people using computers versus using mobile phones. Don't be afraid to do to optimize for mobile as well. More people are using mobile every single day. And so I think it's really important to be able to have something that not only works for your computer, but also works for for mobile and you know you're still going to have on b2b a higher percentage of people using desktop versus mobile but i think it's really important to just build for both because you know as we continue to develop 
as uh, I think mobile is just going to become more and more important for how people are using it and how people are using it as a B2B tool. I think it's pretty clear from everything's gone that e-commerce is is a very fast adapting, fast moving world out there. What are, what are the key trends that you can see coming up for, for the next six to 12 months that e-commerce marketers really need to be paying attention to if they want to be successful? Yeah, I think it's just understanding that there's this lifestyle change going on and, and that's being that, you know, we're used to wanting things fast, um, you know, over here where, where I am, I'm used to getting an Amazon package sometimes the same day as well. Uh, I'm used to ordering something online and having it show up almost immediately. And it's kind of like this instant gratification, you know, same thing with, you know, social media that we have in place right now. You can post something, you can get instant feedback, like right there in the moment. And so that's kind of made us as a, as a society very wanting to, to move fast because we expect fast. We've kind of become accustomed to fast. So that's one of the big lifestyle changes that I see that's going on. And so with that said, I think what's important to carrying that over into e-commerce is you have to build products and systems that are going to work towards that lifestyle. So you have to be able to, you know, deliver value fast. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I would take away from there. People are used to having value delivered fast and it's just going to become faster and faster. And so if you're not able to deliver that value fast enough to the consumer, they will end up leaving and trying something different. So I think that's something that's really important over there. And you know, as we're looking to the future as well, just looking at some of these trends, I think just keeping it simple is, is really important. And for B2B e-commerce, one thing that I always recommend is, you know, having your price up there, being very transparent about the process and just making it really easy for people to access things. There's a lot of information out there that consumers have access to today in terms of reviews, peer recommendations, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it's very easy to research a product on your own and, and get tons and tons of information. And so, you know, don't be very transparent about that because people will find out and, and just keep your process very simple because like I said, people are used to having value now be, be realized faster and faster. And so the more you can keep your processes simplified, the more you, people can realize the value early on, the more likely you are to retain them as a customer. And I think that's the most important thing, regardless of whether you're in B2B or B2C, retention is just so key. All right, um, I'm gonna put you on the spot based on those trends that you've got coming up. What are your, what are your three or four key predictions for, for the future of e-commerce that are, that are gonna come down the line pretty soon? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, specifically talking about, I've, we've talked about B2B e-commerce a little bit over here uh, and talking about B2B e-commerce, um, I think more businesses are going to start using this to, to scale. Um, it's a lot easier than building out a whole sales team or anything like that. And I think there's just going to be a lot more transferring between B2C and B2B. So, you know, if you're a B2C company listening to this podcast, I recommend looking to B2B to maybe steal some ideas from there. You know, we've already seen some of that going on with subscription models. 
and stuff like that. But, but don't be afraid to go to the other side and steal from there. There's a lot of innovative ideas that do work. And the same goes for B2B. Uh, don't be afraid to steal from the other side. Don't be afraid to steal from B2C. There's a lot of great things over there. Something that I'm really interested to see how this plays out. Uh, it's kind of like my boldest prediction. I definitely see text message marketing coming into the B2B world uh, from B2C. And you know, I think it's gonna take some time to kind of figure out what that looks like and what that means. Uh, but I, I definitely recommend checking it out and kind of getting ahead of it and or um, just on it early on. And another thing is, you know, I, I expect to see even more of a data-driven approach and personalization. I think, uh, you know, that already exists. We're always hyper-targeted with ads and things like that. But I think it's just so easy to collect customer information, not even just from, you know, picking up kind of the, the, the cookie crumbs and the metadata that's available over there, but even just on a, a personal one-to-one -one level, it's so easy to ask someone for a survey or kind of like, um, you know, beef up their, their customer profile. And so all of those things are gonna be really important and the more targeted you can make your messaging, I think the more effective it is. So that's something that's really important. And I think, um, you know, what we're gonna see is as businesses continue to scale, and grow, there might be a little bit less customer service to an extent. You know, I think a lot more things are going to be automated right now, at least for me, you know, when I'm thinking about even like Amazon, the way that they're purchasing and doing things like that. Um, I don't know about you, Richard, if, if, how much you purchase on Amazon or things like that, but at least for me personally, um, I'm not really talking to their customer service very often or anything like that. Uh, and it's because their pro process is just so seamless and not only that but there's so many ways to get answers online and i think you know there's it's very easy to direct people to those answers and and so i think there's going to be a little bit of of less customer service but i think when i'm thinking about that it's to the benefit of the consumer at the end of the day yeah absolutely i purchase more on amazon than i should for for, for budgetary reasons definitely and i I cannot think of a single time I wanted to get in touch with their customer service, whether and whether <laughs> I would know how to, um, whether I'd know how to, even if I did. Um, yeah, it's it's really to, so seamless. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I'm picking up on a few things that you came up with there. Text message marketing. I think you're absolutely right. It's one of the things that we've had in had in the Gator Mail product for a while, sort of a SMS function, but beyond reminders to people who who signed up for webinars we've not had a strategy to use that so far and i think it's definitely something that we i think we built it as as an add-on and not sort of nice to have and then we're now now as part of this e-commerce and various other bits looking to um looking at to use that in in some effective way so i'm glad you said that because that's that's quite a nice little product plug for me to shove in yeah. here and um and car abandonment's the other thing as well we're in out, outside of e-commerce we've one of the things we've been doing is reviewing our event attendees and event bookers and seeing whether some sort of cart abandonment can can drive that booking rate up there so so yes you know that's we're already working on one of your predictions to make that come true to to pull that into b2b <laughs> and um and i'm sure awesome. e-commerce as well 
Yeah. And I think the text message marketing is really interesting as well. You know, kind of just spitballing off of that is it doesn't always just have to be very transactional as well. I think, you know, we're, we're very used to, especially for email marketing. Um, I feel like there is a lot of stuff and, and it's getting better. It's evolving. You know, there's more customer focused things. Like I get in my inbox from, uh, consumer brands, you know, things about like storytelling, like they're telling about the product and, you know, maybe having a blog or something like that. And, and a lot of less transactional stuff. And I think that's, what's got to happen on text message marketing as well. Yes. You've got to have, you know, the, the standard um, baseline of, you know, things like answering like cart abandonment, answering questions, all of that good stuff uh, and trying to build and enrich your customer profile. But I think it's a really good opportunity as well to just kind of connect with your audience. Um, one product that I really like um, that does a great job of this is community. And on community, it's a lot of people basically just getting phone numbers and they're able to text their subscribers. So instead of doing email marketing, they're doing text marketing. And it's just, you know, giving them a, a tip every day or helping them answer and understand some of the questions that might be going on in their industry. And so it's very much of a, of a value driven approach rather than just like, Hey, you forgot to check out over here or Hey, you, you forgot to buy my product or Hey, I had this new product that I just launched, go check it out. Um, so it's very much value based. And I, I think that's definitely a, a good approach as well that you definitely want to, you want to find a good balance between the value-based approach and, and the must-haves, which is obviously focused on driving your, your revenue. Yeah, I suppose the way to approach that is probably just launch with those one product tip or one lifestyle tip, whatever your brand happens to be, so people start reading your messages and then you can start sprinkling in the, oh, by the way, do you want to buy this? And if you, if you launch straight away with, hey, you forgot to pay us anything, people are just going to delete it and not engage with it or even block your number. But yeah, you start sure. with those I, value ones, then they sort of build that relationship up from the ground, I suppose. It's like any exactly. other medium. Exactly. And, you know, one thing that I, I've seen that's really cool, you know, every time I kind of, I kind of get transported to this, I was recently, um, I just moved into a new apartment about a few months ago, like three months ago, and I was shopping for furniture and I came across this one website called apartment to be. Um, and I think they do a really good job over here. And I'm always using them as an example for, for every time when it comes to value-based content. Uh, but they sent me an email um, and I'm sure they probably sent this via text as well. Um, but what caught me was the email and it was just, the email was about how to pick the size rug for your room. Um, and I thought it was really cool. I mean, you know, I, I really haven't done very much research on what size rug I should get and stuff like that, but it was just so value, value based, right? There was no hard sell. It wasn't, Hey, you should buy your rug from apartment to be or anything like that. It was just, you know, how can we provide value to our audience? And that kind of stuff really works because, you know, it's not a hard sell. It's just like, this is something our consumers could use. This is something our customers could use. And so makes me really interested in, in learning more about it. And then as a result, as a byproduct, I get exposed to the brand. And so I'm going to keep that brand a little bit more, more top of mind next time, because I'm going to remember that, you know, apartment 2B helped me find the size of rug I needed for my room. How do you think we're going to get, do you think we're going to get branding in 
SMS messages, or do you think that's a little bit beyond what we can achieve at the moment, beyond having you know signed off by the brand name rather than by the sender? Uh, what do you mean exactly? Like versus uh, like an individual? Like if you send an email out, you can kind of you know you can have your spotlight logo in the top, right? And you can have your address down at the bottom as a like a banner across there and a, all your social channel yeah. buttons on there. I think, but I don't know how you do that in in an SMS format, I wonder if that's a limit of the technology and how you how you approach that, if you can. Yeah, I think over there, the, the key thing is just leading with value, right? So like, um, I'm just kind of, I, I have my phone open over here and I'm looking through some of the the messages that I've received. So um, for for one that I always get, uh, you know, I, I don't like calling out brands, but, um, Ralph Lauren always sends me these texts about sales every single day. And I, I don't open any of them really, because it's always just about that. It's not the brand name and there and stuff like that. And so I actually think it's to the benefit sometimes to not include that information and maybe have it just live on the link on the website. Right. So same thing with like apartment to be like, uh, the logo was at the top of the email. Right. Um, but I think in text format, what that looks like is, Hey, are you shopping for, and obviously, you know, this copy would need to get cleaned up, but Hey, are you shopping for like a rug or we just put together this awesome guide, um, for, for picking a rug for like what size rug you should get for your room. Uh, if you're interested or feel free to send this to a friend or something like that. And, you know, the logo isn't really on there. And I think that's okay because, you know, you click into the link. And, and that's something, you know, the, the copy is what gets your attention. And so you click into the link and you do see a little bit of like white branding on the actual web page. And so even though, you know, you're not pushing the logo very hard, I think the, the message has already been kind of ingrained in the customer's head where, you know, I, I'm going to recognize this brand next time, or, or maybe I, I save this link somewhere. Um, like I swipe this link and, and save it in, a swipe file or something like that um, for later. And so I think that's that's really the key over there. And the more value-based content you can lead with. So, you know, maybe you've got a guide for like what rug you should get. Maybe you have a guide for what size TV stand you should get based off of what your room size is, like where the walls are or what size couch you should get. Uh, the more you lead with those like value-based posts, um, the more people are going to open it because they're naturally interested in the content, right? It, it's very customer centric. Um, and then I think it's just going to be that repetition is, is where the brand, uh, gets really sticky. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you, you leave with the value and then that draws them onto a page where you can brand a bit, bit more easily. And then you've, you've earned the trust by with a, with a, with high value copy straight away. Yeah. Okay. See how that would work. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think that's just really the key over there is, is just constantly leading with value. And, you know, if like still just kind of talking on that apartment B, apartment 2B example over here, but if apartment 2B is the authority on all, all things on how you should plan your room, right? They've got tons and tons of content on how you should plan your room, whether it's your kitchen, your living room, your bedroom. And they're the ones that are are leading the content front on there. And I'm looking at their guides all the time. I'm I'm just gonna make that 
I'm going to know that that's the brand that's doing it because, you know, the, the look of the website is always going to be the same. The voice is going to be the same. There's going to be that logo over there. And so I think it just all kind of adds up and it's, it's kind of this like snowball effect over time um, that, that really just leads to the brand, um, the brand being top of mind there, um, whether it's, you know, done through text message, email, blog. Um, I think that's really the key there. Sure. Okay. I think that was a really good dive or good starting point for everyone who's looking to, to do e-commerce in, in the sort of B2B or B2C, um, in a sort of B2B or B2C function. Just to, just to wrap things up, what's the best way for people to, to get in touch with you if they want to take this conversation further and, and understand a bit more about what you've got to share on, on all things e-commerce? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for me for Jadasai, and you'll probably be able, if you're connected with Richard, you'll probably be able to find me pretty easily over there because um, I'm connected with Richard. And, you know, if you're a brand, um, feel free to check out trend.io. Uh, that's all you have to type in over there and, and we'd love for you to check out the website. We have a really awesome website, I think. Um, and yeah, just check it out. And if you're a brand, give Trend a, give Trend a try. I, I think you won't be disappointed there. Fantastic. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for being on the podcast, Jay. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Richard. Thank you for joining us for another episode of That Marketing Podcast. You clearly have wonderful taste. We hope you found the content useful and, and enjoyed it. We'd love you to subscribe wherever it is you're listening to us. Maybe leave us a review. If you can think of a topic that you, you'd like us to cover, or even if you fancy coming on the podcast and sharing your own experience on a particular topic, uh, you can reach us at marketingteam at spotler.co.uk. Thanks once again and happy marketing.